Well, as we enter uh, the Easter season, I want to spend some Sundays together considering the powerful, life-changing difference that Jesus has made and uh, continues to make in our lives. You know, we think of Jesus in a lot of different ways. He's our Messiah. He's our Redeemer. He's our lover of our souls, but he's also a difference maker. Can you imagine your life, child of God, without the power of Christ? What would your life look like without his love released in your life? Can you imagine living without his transformative presence in your life? Our plan is to walk through the Easter story, primarily focusing on Luke's account. If you remember, Luke was a first century uh, physician and as such, he had a keen idea, idea, I, keen, whoa, I'm in the, huh, let's try that one again. He had a keen eye for detail. And in writing his gospel, he intended to help others know Jesus, especially those of us who are from a Gentile background. He didn't write primarily the Jews. So what he would do is if he wrote, and he wrote about something that had to do with the Jews, he would go a little more overboard in explaining it so they could understand it. And he wanted his audience to understand the transformative power of Christ. Now, one of the the first things that Jesus did in the week that's often called Passion Week, and we're going to be spending the next eight weeks looking at stuff that happened within just a few days of each other in Luke chapter 22, is the experience that the disciples had in the upper room. It's called the Passover for the Jews, but Jesus does something at this annual ritual given by God that was designed to test the resolve of God's people to see if they were faithful and ready to follow God out of Egypt. And over the years, this observance became a ritual. In fact, even it was came to a place where they, they quit doing it for a season in their, their nation's life, and they were recovered it after the, the captivity uh, in, in Babylon in, in the days of Nehemiah. But what Jesus is going to do at this event, in this upper room, is transform the Passover. And in this story, I see four things that he is trying to help us, I believe, as followers of his grasp uh, in the way we live our lives and the way he transforms our lives. And I want to invite you just to listen to Luke chapter 22, or if you've got your Bible open, look at it. It won't be on the screen because I didn't include it on purpose. But Luke 22 verse 14 says this, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup when he had given thanks, said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Father, I pray that as we look at this familiar passage, one we often Uh, sometimes read at Lord's Supper events, that, God, you would show us what Jesus was revealing to his disciples, what he was revealing to us about the change that he wanted to make in that event, Father, that reflects the change you want to make in our lives. Father, help us to see this and to help it become part of our lives as we live this Easter season, Father, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. There's four things I want you to see, and I believe what Jesus is doing here is bigger than just celebrating Passover. Because he does some pretty radical stuff here if you're looking close and understand the background of Passover. And what he does is he shows the path of transformation with four things. The first thing he does is Jesus changes past patterns. Look at verse 14 and, uh, again. And when the, the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, the reason they were in the room in the first place, the cultural reason they were there is it was Passover. It was the time of the year that the Jewish people would gather together and they would celebrate Passover. They would get together in a room. They'd bring all the elements together. And it was a very long and involved process. Lord's Supper for us sometimes takes 10 minutes. For the Passover to be done fully, it takes about three hours. It's a very long and involved process that they would go through. And so these disciples have gathered in the upper room. And this annual event in the life of the Jewish people reminded them primarily of God's deliverance from Egypt, of getting them out of there. And as you remember, the people of Jacob, the people of Israel, had ended up in Egypt because of the wicked choices by Joseph's brother, brothers. But God took that and did what? Did something good out of it. After the famine had ended, the people remained in Egypt, and they found themselves to be slaves of Pharaoh. And it, finally, the time came that God sent Moses to deliver his people and to deliver them out of there. But if you remember the story, Pharaoh said, no, no, not going to happen. And God sent ten different plagues upon them. The tenth is what we remember in the Jews did in Passover. He sent these series of plagues, tried to turn the heart of the Egyptians, but he never would. And finally, he said, I'm going to send an angel of death to take the firstborn of all humanity, of all flesh, is the way the King James translated it. But the people of God were given a command to what? Put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost to prepare unleavened bread because they're getting ready to hit the road quickly, soon, after this is over. And God was going to do something amazing in their life. It became an event, eventually an, an annual event for them, but in time it became a ritual that they just observed that didn't really have much meaning anymore. It's what we do every year. It became rote. It became routine. It became a ritual. Listen, we have these kind of things in our lives, don't we? We let things become ritual to us. And instead of experiencing the fresh touch of God, we settle for the routine of religion, finding our hearts empty. But God had a better way. Jesus had a better way. He said, I want you to listen and look and see what's going to happen here. What Jesus does in that upper room is shatters the mold of the event, and he takes Passover and gives it an entirely new meaning, a new transformation, and gives it purpose and direction. The same thing he wants in our lives, if we'll make that clean pass break. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. He said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, what? Never come to an end. Look at this. They are what? New every morning. You know, sometimes in our Christian walk, don't we? We become trapped in ruts. We become trapped in routines. We become trapped in Ritual. We become trapped in the same thing over and over and over, and we miss the freshness of God. As we stand here on the beginning of a season that many of us have experienced year after year after year, I want to challenge you not to just go through it because that's what we do, but to make a choice to not let the coming Resurrection Sunday be a ritual you endure, 
but something we let God work fresh in our lives to transform us into what he wants us to be. Sometimes we have to break with the past. We have to set aside the way we've done it. We have to catch a fresh fire from the Lord. Jesus says we're going to change past patterns. Second, Jesus does this. He chooses gratefulness. Now, this is one that we could spend a lot of time on, but I'm not going to spend too much time. But I want you to see this because what he does in verse 17 is remind them that there's a bigger picture. He took the cup. He took a cup. And you're going, I thought there was just one cup. Actually, in a Passover service, there were usually five cups. Uh, Four they would drink and one they would preserve for uh, the prophet Elijah if he happened to show up. Just a little different approach than we have. But anyway, he says he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said this, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So the second step in the path of transformation is to choose to be grateful. Notice what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to stop and be grateful. He said, I'm going to give thanks. And you're probably thinking, Patrick, we, we know that's there. We, we get it. Move on. I wonder sometimes, do we really understand the importance and the power and the freedom found in thankfulness and in thanking the Lord for what he does? One of the interesting aspects of Luke's account of the, of the tra- pa- Passover being transformed is he mentions two cups. Remember, there were actually more cups. There were actually four cups that were included in a Passover meal, with a fifth cup being reserved for that prophet Elijah if he happened to show up. The first cup in a traditional Passover observance reminded them of this. You've been delivered. You've been set free. You've been brought out of slavery. You've been given a new life. So in a real sense, it was a cup of thankfulness because God's people had spent hundreds of years trapped in Egypt until Moses was sent by God to deliver them. And when they were carried out of that land, they had something to be thankful for, didn't they? There's a line there I want you to catch before us that in Christ we have been delivered from slavery. We've been set free. That's something to what? To be thankful for. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about the difference between you and a person who doesn't know the Lord. But man, we think, oh, we're all the same. Not, not quite. Those of us who have been given the forgiveness of Christ, my friends, have something for which to be truly thankful. We've been set free. Jesus begins his observance with a familiar act, but giving an importance to it. They had been trapped in the clutches of sin, but God had set them free. They had been lost, but they were in the wrong direction, but God intervened. And the act would be settled as the people of Jesus transforms the moment from a reminder of what happened to a reminder of what would happen just a few days later. You know, deliverance from human slavery is a good thing. But deliverance from a broken relationship with God is way better. Jesus started by saying, let's be thankful. Look what Paul told the Thessalonian church. He said, rejoice when you get a moment. If you have time, if you think about it, rejoice. That's not what he says, is it? He says, rejoice where? Say it with me. Always. That's hard, isn't it? But but what if things are not going well? What if things are not going right? What if there's conflict? What if there's a war? What if there's this? What if there's that? He doesn't give us an out. He says rejoice always. Then he says pray without ceasing. And then he says this about thankfulness. Give what? Thanks if everything goes your way. It all 
circumstances. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A huge part of seeing and experiencing God's grace, my friends, begins with an attitude of gratefulness. We can either choose on the bad, uh, choose to focus on the bad, we can focus on the negative, we can focus on the problems, we can focus on uh, ugly things, or we can choose this. I want to look at the good. We can choose a path of gratefulness. God, thank you for what you're doing. So Jesus says we're going to change the past patterns. We're going to choose gratefulness. Third, we're going to count the personal cost. Look at verse 19. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What I think Jesus is trying to help us see by his example is this there's a high cost, there's a personal cost to living this life, to being transformed. Notice as Jesus is transforming the Passover in what we commonly call Lord's Supper or Communion, he says there's a cost that would be paid. In Jesus' case, it was what? It was his very life. But listen, we have a cost to be paid as well when we follow Christ and listen to him. He takes two of the elements included in the Passover and he gives them new meaning. The bread of the, uh, was the unleavened bread the people had prepared quickly so they could get out of Egypt in a hurry. They didn't make unleavened bread because it tasted good. They made it because it was fast. You ever made unleavened bread? I have a recipe I have at my house. I've made it uh, for our church for uh, Lord's Supper once or twice before. I've had some ladies make it uh, on my behalf. It doesn't take any time at all to make it. I mean, you can whip that thing up like that, and you're ready to roll because you don't have to wait for anything to rise. He says, I'm going to change this. We're going to get out of here. Second, wine is symbolizing the freedom that people would experience on their deliverance. They would celebrate because they've been set free. And so what Jesus does, he said, I'm going to turn these two events, these two activities into a different meaning. In a few hours, the, the, the unleavened bread would represent my body that was broken. And the blood that was shed would recommend, would represent, be represented by the, the, the wine that we drink. The cost to Jesus is going to be huge. His cost was high because his body was shattered. His blood was shed. But his model for us is this. If we're going to let Christ transform our lives, there's going to be a cost. Following Jesus with your whole life means this. You'll probably have to, let me rephrase that. You will have to set aside your personal preferences You will have to set aside your expectations of what you want and say, God, not my will, but yours. You're going, I can't pay that price. Then you won't experience the the forgiveness fully of Christ. You won't experience the life he has for you. You won't experience the transformation. You'll just find yourself mired in between. And I got to tell you, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to throw it in. It always gets me in trouble. But listen... Most of us as Christians in our culture, that's where we find ourselves. We go, well, I want the forgiveness, but I don't want him to be in charge. I want the forgiveness in the eternity, but I don't want to surrender my life to him. And we find ourselves fighting that battle between us and God internally. You realize when you trusted Christ, he placed within you the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not some Casper the Friendly Ghost thing. He is God. 
dwelling within you. So when you as a child of God, having the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, say to God, I ain't going to do it, what do you find yourself in? A battle with God. I'm going to tell you the most miserable times in my life are when I fought against God and said, I'm not going to do it. God, I won't do that. I'm not going to be there. No way, no way, no way. It costs to follow Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself said in Matthew 16. We had it in our prayer time. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Choose what he wants to do with his life. Figure out how he wants to live his way. Figure out his personal position and preference and implode. No, 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 no. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You know, a cross is not something you wear around your neck. It's something that ends up costing your entire life. Take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Too often we mistakenly believe that following Jesus means life's going to be easy. I'm going to give my life to Jesus so my life will be easy. No, no, I got to tell you, give your life to Jesus, it's going to be hard. Give your life to Jesus, there's going to be a cost. Give your life to Jesus, he's going to call you to do things that you go, I don't want to do that. But he'll give you the strength to do it. I can tell you story after story of individuals. I, I, I'm amazed. We're, we're so blessed as a church. We have a mission house. I don't know if everybody knows that, but we have a house right here in our town that this church has set aside for missionaries to come and stay when they're on furlough. And I, I get to meet these individuals as they come and as they go. And, and I got to tell you, I look at them and I go, wow, how in the world are they faithful enough to go live where they go live? And it's easy, isn't it, to look at them and go, man, those people have really got it figured out. But how easy is it for us to live right here and be the people of God? We have to take up our cross. We have to deny ourselves. We have to follow Jesus and let him lead. Because if we try to do it on our own and save ourselves, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our life for Christ's sake, we're going to find a life worth living. There is a cost involved in living a life of transformation. One more thing that Jesus does in verses 21 is this. He concedes something. He admits something. He identifies something. What is it? Rejection can happen. Now, and we're not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but let me ask you, how many of you like to be rejected? Oh, please me. I love it. Yeah, right. If you did that, I'd think you were nuts. Well, in fact, I don't even think I would think you're nuts. I would know you're nuts at that point because nobody likes rejection, right? Nobody likes it. But look what happens to Jesus. He tells them this is what's coming. Look at verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. There's only 12 guys here. wonder which one it is. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, is it you? Is it you? It's surely not me. Is it you? Which one of them it could be who was going to do this? So there's a step here I want you to grasp. Jesus fully understood that by surrendering to and doing the will of God and going to the cross for you and for me and giving his life sacrificially, he says, I know that there's somebody who's going to betray me. 
He didn't say he liked it. He just said he knew it. Imagine with me, you're sitting at a table with people you have walked with and camped with and ministered with and talked about life with for the last three years. And you know one of them is going to betray. And you're sitting there at the table and your leader says that and you think to yourself, "Uh, it's not me. I wonder who it is. You think about confusion, there it is. But this reveals a truth, my friends, that there will always be those around us. Jesus had it, you'll have it, I'll have it. There will always be people around us who will not understand when we answer the call of God to go do what he's asked us to do. You go, well, that's, you're talking about churches and pastors, aren't you? No, I'm talking about Christians living life for Jesus. You say, I'm going to live for him first. There'll be some that'll look at you and scoff. There'll be some that'll look at you and laugh. There'll be some that'll even betray you. And if Jesus had a close confidant in his circle who would do that, you don't think you won't. See, we don't need to ask ourselves who it is. We need to ask ourselves... What will I do, not if it happens, but when it happens? Jesus models for us this, a confidence and a sense of purpose that says, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep doing. He says, hey, listen, y'all are going to betray me, but I'm going to the cross. Why? Because I think it's going to be fun. No, he didn't think it was going to be fun. He even asked Jesus to take it from him later in the story. But he knew that's what he had to do. Why? Because God was leading him. And even though rejection can happen, Following Christ is always better. By choosing to hear the voice of God above all others, we find our lives headed not necessarily in the easiest direction, but listen, it's always the right one. Psalmist said this many years ago in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the truth, the law, the word of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a what? Tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all he does, he prospers. Yes, the psalmist mentioned the law, but really the bigger idea is this, the ways of God, the truths of God, the direction of God. Because he knew and we knew and we know and we want to know that we walk in the ways of God as we do that. We make a commitment that says this, I want to listen to the voice of Jesus. I want to follow the direction of God. I want to do the things he has for us. And when we do that, we find our lives headed in the right direction and we discover we're making a difference in the lives of others. So as we experience this Easter season, my call to you, dear follower of Jesus, is to be a person who says, I'm going to leave the past behind. I'm going to live gratefully. I'm going to count the cost. And I'm even going to be prepared for betrayal. But I'm going to be found what? Faithful to Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you met Christ? That's the first step to faithfulness. Many of you say, oh yeah, I did that. I remember. I was at a Bible school. I was at Sunday school. I was at a youth camp. I was in church. I, I, great. Where are you at now? How's that faithfulness working for you? You letting him lead you? For the rest of you who don't know Christ, 
What's it going to take to take that first step? We want you to take it today. Father God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the blessings you give us. And God, we do Easter every year. We do Christmas every year. And Father, at times they become routine. They become almost ritual. But Father, we want this year to be a year that we focus on you and we listen to your voice and we let you change us from the inside out. I pray for those who need to make some type of decision this morning. I pray that you'd give them the confidence and the faith to take the step they need to. In Jesus' name.